Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast. If this is your first listen to the Sendcast, then welcome. The aim of this podcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and we're all trying to learn more about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, we're discussing ticks and Tourette's with my guest, Ioni Georgikis. Ioni is an occupational therapist who worked part-time as the advocacy lead for Tourette's Action. And Ioni uses her professional and her own experience of Tourette's, ADHD and dyslexia to educate employers, schools and healthcare providers. Now, before we get started, the Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We are here to help schools show the small steps of progress pupils with SCND make. We help schools do this for a wide range of abilities and ages. We have lots of different frameworks. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or you're struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, please get in contact because we can help. But did you know you can also use our assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time, saving you money, and also simplifying the whole assessing and analysing data and all of those things. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me so I can take you through what our assessment software can do for your school. Let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing Tourette's. We're having an introduction to ticks and Tourette's, including myth-busting, common misconceptions, and exploring how to support children or young people with Tourette's. My guest is Ioni Georgikis. Ioni is an occupational therapist who works part-time as the advocacy lead for Tourette's Action. Ioni uses her professional and her own experience of Tourette's, ADHD, and dyslexia to educate employers, schools, and healthcare providers. She helps them to understand Tourette's, highlight best practices. She misbusts and helps to reduce barriers to engagement and well-being. Welcome to the show, Ioni. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You are welcome. So let's start with a very simple question, or not. What is Tourette's? It's a good place to start. So Tourette's is an inherited neurological condition. And I think that one of the common misconceptions is that it's maybe a psychiatric or a behavioural disorder or condition, whereas it is neurological in basis, sort of neurodevelopmental, we might call it. And despite a lack of public understanding, Tourette's syndrome is not rare. So it affects around 1% of the population and over 300,000 adults and children are living in the UK with this condition, many of whom go undiagnosed. How how do you go undiagnosed? Because I'm going to get onto swearing a bit, but generally you have these ticks and they can be quite obvious. Is it a case of some of these ticks are just not obvious? Ah, absolutely. So there's kind of two aspects to this question. So one of them is that often the ticks and Tourette's that we see on our TV screen sit at the more extreme end of the spectrum. So ticks that number one fall under the coprolalia bracket and coprolalia is the term for compulsive utterances of swear words. And that is, without a doubt, the most associated symptom of the condition. People often say, Tourette's, what? The swearing condition. And absolutely, in some cases, that is the situation. That is some people's symptoms. But the estimate is around 15 to 20% of people with Tourette's experience copper phenomena, so coprolalia or copperpraxia. The rest, the rest of us do not. It's important, actually, that our TVs and that our, our media are 
portraying experiences of coprolalia because I don't think it, it takes much imagination to think about how hard it is to live with those symptoms. If you're living with a condition that causes you to say or do things that don't act, aren't actually what you mean, aren't actually kind of that don't relate to your beliefs and your philosophy, that might be really insulting or upsetting to other people, regardless of whether it's involuntary, we still live with the consequences of our tics. We still have to apologise. We still have to manage them in society. We still have to be there alongside someone else's response to what's come out of our mouth or, or, or what's happened with our body. So it's really important that we are showing these experiences and these symptoms on our TV. They probably cause the biggest barriers to employment, education, well-being, relationships. The other difficulty is we need to be showing people who live at the other end of the Tourette spectrum, people who may live their life relatively uninterrupted by their tics. They might have small motor, which are movement tics or vocal tics, which are sound or word tics. These tics might be simple in nature. So that means that they're a single stage movement or sound that could be raising your eyebrows or a little kind of grunt in the back of your throat. These are incredibly common tics and having. So to have Tourette's, you need multiple motor, which are movement and at least one vocal tic. And these have to have been present for over a year. They don't have to be constant at the same level, but they have to have been there kind of coming or going for maybe a few months at a time even, but for over a year. So the severity kind of doesn't fall into that. It's not that your tics have to be the loudest or the most frequent. It's simply that you have these tics for this period of time. So there's lots of people who have have tics, motor and vocal through their whole life. But because they don't sit at the extreme end of the spectrum, because maybe they don't experience coprolalia, so the swearing symptoms, it's not recognised. And not only is it maybe not recognised by the person with the tics, but it can also not be recognised by medical professionals. So this kind of this misunderstanding of Tourette's as the swearing condition is so pervasive that we have families come to us. They've been turned away from their GP, despite the fact that their child has tics, because their child doesn't swear. And I think it's really important that we explore this. We need to say there's no stigma around the, the swearing features of the condition. It's really important that we recognise them and that we allow kind of exploration of them so people who have these symptoms can kind of access the world safely and securely. But also we need to represent people whose symptoms look really different to that, who, who aren't the kind of Pete from Big Brother, but who are people who, who you might actually work with every day and not realise that they have Tourette's. And I regularly run training and awareness sessions for businesses and I, someone will get in touch with me at the end and they'll say, I was just an attendee on that. I'm not the employee with Tourette's, but actually, as it turns out, I'm pretty sure I've got Tourette's. I fit the diagnostic criteria. I've had these sound whoop, sounds and movements since early childhood, but they didn't look like what, you know, the Tourette's I've seen on my TV or the Tourette's that I'd kind of read about or heard about. And so that's why we kind of need to show all ends and all sides of this condition. So as someone with Tourette's, when you're watching Tourette's on TV, because Often, like we have autism and autism is on TV, there'll be a load of that's not my autism, that does not reflect my life, that does not reflect. Is it the same? So basically, they're focusing on often on TV on the, 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 the much smaller, that 20%, I will not even say the word, yeah, that word, the swearing bit. And actually, the other 80% is because it's not, I'm going to say, because it, it's TV, it has to be the more extreme. Maybe having just physical, physical tics isn't such as impact. So that's what they focus on. And that is therefore kind of what the whole world thinks that Tourette's is. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
it's it's we know what they do on our TV screens. They want to make things entertaining and capturing and they what they want numbers and for people to watch them. And actually there's no there's no problem with with depicting coprolalia on our TVs. It's really, really important because actually it's the ticks with the with the most consequences, the most social consequences, the ticks that get people into the most trouble or stop people doing the things that they want and need to do. It wasn't so sort of long ago that a, a young person was nearly denied access to a flight because they had the type of ticks that caused them to say, you know, or potentially say something about a bomb in an airport. And actually, they were nearly denied access to this flight because of that. And we need to give voice to these symptoms and to these characteristics and to how they impact people. However, it's not at all. And it, we are doing the Tourette's community a disservice if we are only showing 20% of people's experiences if we are only showing the most extreme. We're preventing parents being able to identify ticks in their children at a young age because they don't look like the ticks that were shown. And actually, everyone deserves their time. Everyone deserves their experiences to be represented. And we need to make sure that we're sort of finding informative avenues of kind of entertainment and and documentaries that, that show the spectrum of the condition and not only one sort of one aspect of it. Yeah. I suppose what we almost want to get to is generally Tourette, the Tourette will be part of the story in a TV. And almost what you want is to get to the point that Tourette's isn't part of the story. It's just part of that character's features. And it's almost, you ignite, kind of ignore it. It's just, it's part of them. It's like their hair color. It's like this. It's just be accepting. They're, they're not, they don't, they're not here with Tourette's for a story feature, they are just who they are. They just happen to have Tourette's as well. That is reality what we want to get to in the world, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Wouldn't that be nice if Tourette's is the least interesting part of this person? It's just something in them. It's not makes doesn't make them who they are. It what actually what we're interested in is, in, is their profession or their passion or their hobbies or their skills. And it, it almost sounds rude saying ignoring their Tourette's or anything, but in reality, that's kind of what we should be doing. Absolutely. Well, or, or why have I got that wrong? Well, That's the thing. I'm literally saying that. Going, well, actually, is that wrong? It's, it's a good question, and there's there's no right or wrong with with ticks, Tourette's, or any other kind of condition or experience because we're all unique and we're all going to have different approaches to kind of managing and exploring our condition. We do know that ticks, like many other kind of aspects of life, respond to lots of attention and focus. So the more we think about our ticks, the more we focus on our ticks, the more we talk about our ticks, the more we are likely to tick. They can, ticks can be quite suggestible in nature and they can be quite influenced. So it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be talking about our ticks. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be exploring that with our young people or as, as adults with the condition. However, we do need to acknowledge the fact that talking about them and focusing on them is actually likely to increase them, especially actually if we're looking in a sort of supportive situation. Do we want to be exploring someone's tics and the adjustments that they might need at the beginning of the day? Probably not if we're going to increase their tics in doing so. Actually, we need to look at the time of day and the space that we talk about and explore our tics if you're kind of supporting someone with the condition. So we've often had teachers say every morning we do a tick check-in and we have a conversation about how someone's kind of entering in that day. And I thought, oh, that poor child, I'm ticking thinking about it. And they're having to start every day by putting all of their focus, mental and physical, onto their body and onto their condition. So in the way that you kind of said, we, we need to let people be themselves unapologetically and authentically themselves. We need to let our tickers tick. 
we need to provide a space where people can talk about their symptoms. They can ex- explore them. They can discuss the difficulties and the strengths that they bring to their lives. But it shouldn't be enforced. And we do have to recognise the consequences of that can be an increase in ticks, which then that person's taking through their day. So you might have a child coming to school having no ticks, but the fact you then have a whole conversation about ticks is maybe it will make them think of ticks and therefore they're more likely to tick. It absolutely can be the case. And often a cruel kind of a cruel thing is that people will say, oh, how wonderful. You're not really ticking much today. Well, number one, we don't want to attach a kind of positive or a negative around tick frequency and severity because it's not good job you're not ticking. It's what an obs- it's an observation. In doing so, that very well-meaning individual is very likely to just absolutely automatically increase that that person's ticks. So, yeah, it's like saying, "Don't think of elephants." Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right, thanks for that. So, in, in reality, a better process would be. If you know you've got a child with ticks, you, you're just kind of monitoring and you might get to a session or a part of the day where their ticks increase. And I suppose towards the end of that, you might have a conversation with them saying, I've noticed you're... And I suppose depending on the age of the child is that awareness of what makes you tick. Now, I, I assume personally that stress is going to be a big part of that. But is that the only part? Great, great question. And actually, this is a really big part of what we do at Tourette's Action for our awareness and our training sessions, is we look at the impact of the environment on ticks and Tourette's. And that's the internal and the external environment. So there are lots of factors that can impact ticks and Tourette's, just like there's lots of factors that can impact lots of other diagnoses. The, the sensory environment is a really, really, really big factor in ticks and Tourette's. So the external and the internal sensory environment. 80% of people with Tourette's have quite strong sensory processing differences. And often ticks can be a response to significant changes in the environment. So sudden loud noises, bright lights, busy spaces, someone feeling very hungry or tired, someone needing the toilet. So it could be a physical, internal or external kind of discomfort or reaction to the world. But also, like you said, stress, anxiety, what don't they make worse? If we've got any ailment, any experience in our life and we are stressed or anxious, my goodness, my headache's worse. Oh, my IBS is flaring up. Oh, my my eyes are hurting. They're dry. My eczema, you know, body and brain connection cannot be kind of ignored. But other things, and I, I think that this is a bit of a mean one, is excitement. So excitement is a really big trigger for ticks. So often young people get very excited about something and they've maybe put all of the work in to prepare themselves to succeed at the, at the theme park, for example, and they've got their ear defenders and they've got their lanyards and they, they've got their cue jump pass. But essentially the excitement, the level of excitement has such a big impact on the ticks that despite doing, you know, in brackets, all the right things, they're still unable to access that space or that activity because the ticks are are so, so, so increased. So it's not only kind of negative situations. So it's not going, my goodness, you're ticky today. You must be super duper stressed. Actually, maybe you're having a cracking time. You're really excited. You're really looking forward to this. And as a result, your ticks are increased. So it's 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 a complex situation. It's individual to every single person. But there are some uh, some things that are widely accepted to reduce ticks. So kind of feeling relaxed and accepted, being in a space where 
You know that there's not going to be social, physical, emotional consequences to your ticking. So you understand that everyone around you understands that your ticks are involuntary in nature. They're not what you're thinking and feeling. They're not purposeful sort of acts to disrupt or to gain attention. They are involuntary. So that's really, really protective and helpful in, in reducing ticks. Another thing is being engrossed in an activity or being really distracted. And this is my favourite, favourite question to ask people with threats. What's your thing? You know, what's the thing you do that really gives you relief from your tics? So for some people that is singing, for some people that is swimming, playing football, crochet, reading, meditating, painting. There's as many activities as there are people with tics and Tourette's. But it can be a really wonderful side effect free way of reducing tics, increasing kind of well-being and gaining a bit more kind of control and and that sense of control. Because essentially, Tourette's is a a condition that that makes you feel quite out of control. You're out of control of what's coming out of your mouth or your body. And that that can be really, really difficult. It can be one of the hardest parts to live with, feeling sort of disconnected from purposeful movement and words. So when we can find an activity approach to managing our symptoms or reducing our symptoms. I'm an occupational therapist, so I'm incredibly biased anyway, but I think it's the most wonderful thing. And if you're, if you as an adult or a young person with tics and Tourette's or as a parent or professional, help, help that exploration. If the young, if the person with Tourette's hasn't found their thing yet, encourage that exploration. What do you do that helps reduce your tics, that helps you manage your symptoms better? How can we do more of it? I like the fact that doing that activity kind of, you can distract yourself from having ticks, more or less. It's like, if I do this, my body will forget about that, and I'm doing this. It's not. It's probably not that psychologically, but it, it definitely feels like it's when I'm so engrossed and I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm relaxed, I won't have my ticks. But if I start changing any of that, if there's a bit of uncertainty, a bit of anxiety, a bit of stress, I lose some of that control, that kind of, it's almost like a symbol of showing that. That tick is coming out because... I'm not as comfortable. There's things going on that I'm not in control of. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're choosing sort of opportunities, conscious opportunities to activate different parts of our brain to put our, our, our mental energy into that. And I think that that's sort of how it how it works. The focus is going there, and it's not registering those lower level signals, which in people with Tourette's are getting registered and coming out as movements and sounds. Whereas for the general population, those signals are firing in our brain, but at such a low level that actually they're not picked up and they don't come out as a sound or movement. So actually, I think for the for the person who super their their systems are very sensitive and they're picking up those really low level signals when engrossed in a task and activity, maybe all of that energy is going into that instead. I it was interesting because I was thinking as you were talking there, I was thinking like a correlation between like autism and stimming. But that stimming is often it's helping them to regulate. So it's sort of like I'm really stressed. I'm gonna, I, it's like a more like a conscious thing. If I do this, it helps me be regulated. But those ticks are not that. Those ticks are almost the opposite. They're they're not a thing you do to help you stay calm. It's more of a showing you that you're not calm or you're not regulated. Would that be correct? It's a really, really good question. And it's it's a really interesting comparison and something that comes up a lot in our training because often stimming can look quite like ticking. And actually lots of people who tick stim and lots of people who stim tick. And the people who who kind of (laughs) have both experiences, and again, I can't speak for everybody, but generally 
what we know is that like you like you said stimming is a self-soothe act it's a, a way to regulate one system and body whereas with ticks and tourettes 90 percent of people with tourettes experience what we call a premonitory urge and a premonitory urge is essentially an uncomfortable sensation that is temporarily relieved by doing the tick so the way that we can kind of compare it is an itch so you've got an itch you can't scratch we're in a meeting the itch is on your bottom okay so we can't scratch our bottom in a meeting without people making judgment so we might be able to channel all of our mental and physical energy into kind of just ignoring that itch for a little bit until we get out of the meeting and essentially that in ticks and Tourette's is what we'd call suppression. So we're holding in, we're tolerating that uncomfortable premonitory urge for as long as we can. For some people, that's no time at all. For others, they might be able to do it for two minutes. For some people, they might be able to suppress their ticks throughout the whole school day. But what happens, like with an itch we cannot scratch or any kind of urge that we're not giving into, we get a rebound effect. So if someone has been holding in those ticks all day, it's really likely that when they allow themselves to, to let them out, often at the end of a school or work day, they might have a real explosion, a real influx of intense ticks because essentially it's kind of getting getting them all out of the way. We've, we've spent all of our mental and physical energy trying to stop them and hold them in. And they have to come somewhere. And that's kind of that tick relief cycle. So some people are able to suppress or delay the tick and the movement for a little bit of time to meet often essentially functional or social demands. In the end, those ticks are going to need to come out. And so in a dream world, we're creating environments and spaces and systems where people can authentically be themselves. They can tick loudly and proudly as and when they want to need to. I think there's two points I like to make here. Number one, just because some people can suppress, it does not mean that everyone can suppress. Some people don't have the premonitory urge and some people don't have the physical or mental capacity and the insight or, or the ability to kind of tolerate that even for a second. The other thing to say is that if you want the best out of your student, employee, child, friend, anyone in your life with ticks and Tourette's, we don't want to expect them to suppress because when we're suppressing all of our mental and physical energy or a large proportion is going to the suppression. So it's very hard to process information or retain information during those times. Often at work, I have to put in lots of different strategies to mitigate my poor memory because if I'm not ticking, I'm not processing so well. And you can imagine that that causes lots of challenges. I'm an adult with lots of training and experience and insight into how to mitigate and manage that. Whereas actually, if you're a young person in school and you're putting all of your energy, mental and physical, into suppression to stop yourself being told off, to stop yourself appearing different to your peers or being called out for saying something interruptive, and you haven't got the skills and the insight to kind of put in those strategies to help you to still learn, then lots of people will think, wow, he's not a problem, he's not noisy, he's not ticking. He's not disruptive, but also he's not accessing learning. He's not accessing education. He's spending his, his emotional and his physical energy on trying to fit in. And we don't want that. That's a real waste. A video I watched years ago, it's on YouTube. I think it was called Tourette's Karaoke. I don't know if you've seen him. I haven't. But it, it, it was phenomenal because I, I, I purely think of Tourette's as this is involuntary. You have no control over it, but you've just talked about that suppression which made me think of him because he would sing. And my favorite one is R.E.M. Losing My Religion. So the intro starts and he has all his ticks and it comes out and he swears and all that lot. And then he starts singing 
and he sings amazingly. Then there's like a sort of like a break, and he'll get all his ticks out in this really short pause, and then go straight in for the next line, and didn't miss a thing. And I'm going, what? How? How is it? I thought it was, in, but as you said, he's suppressing it. He knows it's coming. He's holding it in, and you can see him that when he's not singing, there's a lot of it coming out. There's a lot of ticks, verbal, physical, and then he'll sing the next line, and it just. It was really fascinating watching that he obviously has that ability to suppress while he's singing, but then it has to come out. Ah, oh, that's really interesting. Number one, great song choice. Yep. The, this is also a really nice example of that, you know, what's your special activity? What's the thing that you do that when you're doing it, your ticks are really reduced or they don't happen? So singing is a really common one. Lots of ticks before the performance, lots of anxiety, bright lights, excitement. While singing, no ticks, likely lots of ticks afterwards because you've built up some energy and some enjoyment in that. Similarly, lots of people, I used to do a lot of theatre in my in my adolescence, in my childhood, and I would never tick when I was in character and I was kind of on stage in that, but have lots and lots of ticks before, lots and lots of ticks after, those kind of excited ticks. But I put myself fully into a character, almost as if you're singing, everything is 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 purposeful and engaging your brain and your body. And so singing is a beautiful example of that kind of stops the ticks naturally. They're going to need to come out somewhere, but. And that's the thing. I think they've got to come out. And that's the thing. When we talk about like with autism and ABA and appearing normal, if you kind of almost like going, you really shouldn't tick, hold it in, hold it in. That's not, although they might be more what you want that child to be, be very um, polite and everything it's going to have a huge impact internally. So we really don't want that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it comes down to the, that sort of sense of self and you're telling someone that there's something inherently is wrong within them, that they need to mask, redirect, change these kind of characteristics, these things that make them authentically, beautifully unique to fit in. And with ticks, you know, there's different approaches and therapies to manage ticks are about suppressing or redirecting the ticks and, and changing the ticks, which is really positive for people whose ticks cause them physical pain or stop them doing what they want and need to do. But also, we need to be really careful about the message that we're giving people that, you know, it's you're not wrong. This is how your body functions. It's what your body needs to, to do. To, to succeed. And actually, I'm sure it probably comes with lots of really unique strengths and skills that we need to give voice to and harness and own instead of kind of having this deficit fit in model of how do we get these square pegs and these round holes? We don't because we're going to ruin our pegs. We're going to ruin the systems. And actually, we're going to create kind of generations upon generations of people who feel that they don't fit and that they, they internalize that. They believe it comes from them. And actually, it doesn't. It comes from fitting trying to fit into a system designed for neurotypical individuals and and yeah we're beyond that we are we're hoping to move beyond that we are we are getting there we are getting there so i think there's a lot more acceptance these days okay let's talk about the ticks themselves so we've talked about the swearing but are there like there there are four groups of ticks is it like that is there a, like choose a tick from one of these four boxes is it that sort of thing goes on good question i mean in a, in an essence slightly and i laugh because actually a lot of our, our diagrams demonstrate Tourette's in four boxes <laughs> Yay, tick categories in four boxes so you're off to a good start so 
the essentially the first two categories that we have are our motor and our vocal. So our movement ticks and our sound ticks. And so vocal is anything that comes from the kind of vocal cords or makes a sound. It doesn't have to be a word. And then we break it down further and we have simple ticks and complex ticks. So simple ticks are a single stage sound or movement. So eye blinking, throat clearing, face grimacing. So it's a single muscle group and a single movement. We also have our complex ticks. So they are multi-stage movements or multi-stage sounds. So an example of that could be a word or sentence. It could be that those copra symptoms that fall under the, the copperpraxia, which would be the obscene gestures, giving the middle finger, coprolalia, which would be the obscene words. So it could be swearing or, or kind of racial slurs. So we have our kind of our four main boxes, our simple, our complex, our motor, our vocal. We also have other categories of ticks. So you may have heard the term sort of echolalia. So we have our echo phenomena. And so echo phenomena in Tourette's is echopraxia, which is repeating other people's movements and gestures. So a mum is waving to their child in the park and you're waving back, even though you're absolutely nothing to do with that interaction or situation. And an example of echolalia, which is repeating other people's sounds, could be, you know, someone calls for their dog, Misty, and you then, Misty, Misty, Misty. Again, Misty is not your dog, but you're repeating someone else's. So there, there's sort of a couple of other types of tick categories as well. What we know is that it's not just the ticks you can see in here. Lots of ticks are going on inside a person's body. So there might be ticks that impact, you know, some of my most frequent ticks, ticks that I'm constantly doing essentially is clenching my my bum muscles, my buttocks and my stomach. So that's going on all the time, constantly. And, you know, if I'm doing it lots, it can look like I'm wiggling a bit or I'm doing the I need the toilet dance. But actually, it's those muscle groups going constantly. So sometimes people will say, well, you know, they weren't ticking. We couldn't see it. I don't understand why he didn't listen to those instructions. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I suppose you talked about like calling for a dog or waving. I often do that because I literally think someone's waving at me and I know it's not for me, but I'm just going to have some fun. <laughs> it's not that. It's more like it's a compulsion, I'm guessing, with those ticks. It's more like they're shouting, I'm just going to repeat it whether I want to or not type thing, is yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. So that information just it registers in the brain and it comes back out as a tick. It's a it's really common feature of other conditions, so especially kind of echolalia. So lots of autistic individuals experience echolalia. And actually, just a lot of the general public. So how often have you watched a kind of an advert with a really catchy, did somebody say? And you just, you know, you see the advert and you've already find yourself singing the theme tune or filling in the catchphrase of it. And that would be an example of echolalia. We, we associate it, our bodies and our brains recreate it. I'm not going to sing the <laughs> We Buy Any Car current no. advert, which is very catchy. <laughs> very catchy. I hate it. <laughs> Okay, so different types of stress. And often, see, so you've whistled and made noises with your mouth. There's lots of ones we see with the hands. Do you, are you doing the same with your feet? I'm going to ask that. Might see a similarly silly question, but a lot of them is that you see the hands moving. You see clapping, you see clicking. Does the same go on with your legs? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, lots of toe ticks, ticks, you know, feet clenching up in shoes, people who have ticks that impact their ankles. You know, it's a certain uncomfortable feeling and you have to do a movement in order to... Essentially, I've not heard of a body part that hasn't or couldn't be impacted by a tick. And it's really, really, really difficult. Maybe the ears. I don't know how you tick your ears, but I think that's more that the body won't allow it. I'm sure if it would, we'd find a way. Yeah. 
yeah, there is, it's, it's, it's external and it's internal. And in fact, there's ticks that can impact sort of organs. So there's ticks that can impact things like the bladder. So when you're doing lots of stomach ticks, actually, essentially, you can have ticks that activate that part of your body. You know, lots of ticks in the eyes, eye rolling that can impact someone's ability to read or to, to drive their car. So when you get assigned your ticks at some point in life, and that's your tick, is that your tick for life? Does it evolve? Is that you evolving it? Is that it evolving itself? How does that Great work? Great question. I, I... I love the term when you get assigned your ticks. I thought, oh, who, who has that job at birth? You know, my goodness. And again, it is, it's, it's a really good question. So ticks and Tourette's typically change over the course of a person's life. What we often see, especially in early childhood, so ticks tend to rear their heads at around five or six. Some people have had ticks from sort of much since much younger. Other people might have started to notice theirs a bit later in life. We generally see ticks start locally in the face and around the eye region. So kind of eye blinking, facial grimacing, maybe clearing the nose or throat, quite simple motor ticks. And then generally, ticks might work their way outwards and become slightly more complex in nature, impact more parts of the body. That's the, that's the kind of typical Tourette's trajectory. What, what we know is that what, what is typical, and lots of people have different experiences, and that's not representative of everyone. I always like to make that sort of whoop, side note. But yeah, ticks change. So they can be really, really influenced by your environment and sort of things that you're, you're seeing, hearing, smelling, whether or not you're registering that information. So I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll tick about the demographic of somebody that is walking towards me, but I haven't registered that I've even seen that person. It's not been a conscious thought. It's that my, my body or my brain has. I've ticked words that I didn't know the meaning to. So I used to tick haberdashery and sycophant, and neither words did I know the meaning to until I looked it up. So at some point in my life, in my existence, in my educational journey, that, that word went in and that it came back out but not with any kind of conscious awareness or context. T- ticks can sort of come and go. So I had certain ticks that I've had since I was six and they will probably be with me, you know, right to the end of my life journey. I've also had other ticks that I've said once or done once and I've never had again. So everyone is different. Some people might have the same three or four ticks throughout the course of their life. Some people might pick up temporary ticks and then have their sort of you know, they're, they're OG allocated ticks that they do all the time. And some people's ticks just change very, 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 very frequently. What we do know is that when people with Tourette's are around other people with Tourette's, there's a, there's a real suggestible kind of nature of the condition. And so often, like I mentioned, sort of talking about ticks and focusing on ticks increases ticks. So when people with ticks and Tourette's are with one another, it is both wonderfully empowering and incredibly exhausting. And we learn a lot from each other and we laugh with each other and we hold empathy for each other and feel connection and community. But we also need to go home and sleep for a month. So we do these amazing inclusive ticks and Tourette's events with Tourette's Action. So we have a, a teen fest, which is for unaccompanied teenagers. And we facilitate that as, as kind of staff teams. We have tick fests for families with Tourette's and, and siblings and, and parents. And we also have adult fests where adults with Tourette's can come together. And what all of these things have in common is a space where people can go and feel connected to their community. They can be really loud and proud with their ticking. They are the kind of, they're the majority. They're the normals, you know. And we look at these quiet people in the corner, we think, oh, bless you, your life must be boring, or it's so on and so forth. And what we find is that parents feel that 
they have someone to kind of connect and relate to. Siblings do. You know, it's not easy being a sibling of someone with Tourette's. Tourette's is often the loudest thing in the room. Tourette's often demands the most attention, the most space. And and that can make it really hard. So kind of providing a space to be around other people with your condition and to feel connected is really, 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 really important, I think. I like that because, yeah, because as, 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 a, as a sibling of someone with Tourette's, if you're meeting other siblings, you've got a shared pain, a shared thing that you've got actually, and you're actually going, actually, it's not that. That's the thing. It's that realising oh, other people in the situation and you're not the only one. It's that connection is really powerful. Yeah, you are not alone. No. And I love about this podcast, I just get to ask all my questions. So hopefully, if you are listening, hopefully I'm covering all your questions too. Are your tics dependent on, like, being at home being at work is it like i have my nine to five ticks and i have my after five ticks i i wish that was the case i wish it was my life would be a lot easier i'd probably have got myself into a few less sticky tricky situations i am and obviously i can only really speak for myself in this situation i have got a relatively good grasp of my ticks into my adulthood so i used to have very little awareness of my ticks they'd be out before i knew what was going on um, I didn't, I, especially my vocal tics, I rarely know what I'm going to say until it's coming out of my mouth. However, I have increased my awareness of that. So with my vocal tics, I get a very, very little premonitory urge, so very little awareness of what's coming. But as soon as it starts, as soon as it's in my mouth, essentially that word, I can redirect it. So if the tick is relatively inoffensive, if the tick is, you know, it's often a meow, that's not a problem. It's often a throat click, that's not a problem. Sometimes, just sometimes it's something that I might not want to come out of my mouth. In that case, I won't give an example because they're not actually that well masked. But in that case, I would redirect it halfway halfway through. So I'd try to make it less offensive or upsetting in, in that moment. That's something that I have mastered with, mm, I'm not sure how much success, but it, 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 it's a gesture. Other people will kind of just, yeah, will tick and not have that awareness. But I work quite hard to be aware of my tics in my working day. I am a child therapist and there are certain situations where it would either have a negative impact on the young person I'm supporting, it would break our therapeutic rapport, maybe they're going through some complex mental health challenges and actually an out-of-context tic could have a really, really, really negative impact on their well-being. So I consciously work very hard in certain therapeutic environments to suppress my tics. That is my professional and personal choice, and it works for me. There are a thousand other settings, most other settings in my life, where I don't use my mental and physical energy to suppress my tics because the consequences are other people being shocked or surprised or slightly scared or, oh, what was that? That's okay. That's not, my, that's not my difficulty to manage. I have an obligation to support my clients and my patients, the rest of the world. They can be slightly surprised, shocked or, you know, whatever they need to do in response to it. And so it's, it's lots of young people, for example, in schools will suppress and mask their tics because they're desperate not to stand out. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. Schools are terribly difficult places to be if you're even remotely different. And so often those ticks will explode at home and parents will see these huge ticks and teachers will go, what are you on about? He's a silent angel in class. And mum's going, oh, my God, he's been crying all night. He's been ticking. He's exhausted. And everyone thinks the other person is mad. And actually, no one's mad. Everyone's just trying to fit in. And that young person's trying to fit in. And so their ticks are responding. One thing I always like to highlight is that the suppression, the holding in of ticks isn't always voluntary. So sometimes 
for various reasons, people will consciously or unconsciously hold in their ticks, mask their ticks because they don't feel safe to do so, because the consequences of ticking in that situation might outweigh the discomfort of holding it in. So when we say to people, oh, let it out, tick, no problem, I'm not offended. That's lovely. It's a lovely, generous sentence. But that person's coming in with a whole life of experiences and potential traumas, consequences, embarrassments to their ticks. And we cannot kind of assume that we can mitigate that with with loving reassurance. It's a really nice idea. But sometimes it might take someone a while to feel truly safe or comfortable to tick. I've had lots of employers over the years who have said, oh, you do you, you know, do what you need to, tick it out. And I think, well, it's lovely. It's really nice. I'm really glad you're coming in from that, that place. But actually, I've had a lifetime of experiences that sometimes tell me it's not safe to tick. It's safe to tick until it's offensive. It's a safe to tick until it's disruptive, until someone else raises a concern, until someone else is impacted by it. So simply saying it isn't enough. We actually need to live it and breathe it and create spaces where it's true. And then people might feel safer to tick. I like the fact that it's that, it's that conscious suppression, but also that subconscious that although you can, yeah, I can, the other part of you going, you really shouldn't, so we won't. We're not doing it. But I also love the fact you can redirect. I'm guessing you can't redirect a, a vocal tick into a physical tick, but, as you, or can, but that redirecting it, so if it is going to be, you're going to go, mm, I'm not doing that. I, that's, that's quite fascinating. But as yet, you can do it, but that doesn't mean that everyone can do it. Uh, you've, yeah. t- you've put a lot of work in, and that's also probably taken you into your adulthood to have those ability and those skills, that awareness to be able to vent that. So don't expect children to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Really, it's a really complex skill, and it's, it's something that I've, yeah, I've developed out of, out of choice, but very hard to do. You cannot redirect a vocal tick into a physical tick. You might be able to stop it halfway, but then you might risk that kind of, well, I've done half an itch and I'm still itchy, and I, I haven't got the satisfaction. And I have tried, it's kind of come out. So yes, it's, 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 it's really, 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 it's really tricky. It's really individual and it's not easy. So we don't want to be encouraging people to do it unless that's something that they're choosing to do. Yes. So I'm trying to just do 20% of the podcast on the swearing part, <laughs> just to make sure we give everything its fair share. So we've avoided that. And the, the swearing parts, the... I try, I try to remember the word. It's completely gone Copra again. Copra phenomena. What's the word? Meow. Copra phenomena. Of course, nice and easy. So I watched a Channel 4 program with a mum with Tourette. And what I found really, really interesting is it's not, for in her situations, it wasn't just random swear words. It's not just think of a swear word, let it out. It was, it seemed to be, think of the worst thing to say in this situation because that's what's going to come out of my mouth. And that was a whole level of processing and understanding of the situation you're in, all happening subconsciously, completely unaware of it, and that thought coming out. And, and it was just, I found that really interesting, that, that whole thing is going on without you consciously being involved. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's really, it's so bizarre. It's such a bizarre condition. It's so hard to truly empathise and understand it unless you live with it because Actually, to an outsider, it seems, well, do you have control? Don't you have control? Do you swear? Do you not? Do you know what you're saying? Do you not? Can you hold it in? Can you not? And actually, there's, the answer is poof, different for everyone. So many times 
ticks. I'm ticking about someone, a, a situation. I'm, I'm having an, a coprolalia, an insulting tick about someone, and I haven't even registered that they're there. I haven't even picked up on who or how I'm insulting. The, our brains are wonderful, wonderful things that take in so much information before we even know what's going on. And it allows us to do what we need to do. But when you add Tourette's into the mix, it does mean you could be ticking about a scenario that you you don't even know that you're you're about to do. And, and it often means that actually when people, especially people who experience these kind of coprolalia ticks, these vocal, socially unacceptable or swearing ticks, enter certain situations, or they might either enter them and become very anxious and need to leave, or they might actively avoid them. So places that are very busy, places that are more culturally diverse, places like an airport, when you walk past, you know, police officers, every time, every single time I walk past a police officer, I will tick, it's the police. It doesn't matter what context I'm in, whether it's a police car, whether they can hear me or not, generally they smile and nod at me. But there's lots of people who you replace, it's the police with, you know, pigs or something, something insulting, something derogatory. I, I worked with someone who every time they saw, they, they used to tick frequently, arrest me, I'm carrying, and then fill, filled it in with a drug word, okay? 13-year-old young lady was certainly not doing that, but would get herself into all of these complex situations because every time she'd see a person in uniform, she'd very loudly tick that she was, she was carrying something illegal and that they needed to arrest her. She didn't mean it, they understood it, but actually there's 101 situations where that could have ended quite differently and also you know it's yeah but it's like as you said earlier haberdashery and the other word i walked past a haberdashery on uh, saturday actually but it's that that information that goes into your head subconsciously you're completely unaware of but it's in there and in that situation you're in your subconscious brain is going oh this is what's happening there's a policeman there and the other part of you is going what is the worst thing i can say and it is all subconscious and it is it's just the fact your head does that I find fascinating because I, I, in conversations, what I've worked out is I kind of monitor conversations in my head. So part of me is having a conversation. Another part of me is kind of monitoring. It's like, it's like sitting at the thing, okay, how's this conversation going? What's he saying? What they're saying? Is it balanced? Is it this? Is he talking too much about himself? Is he saying this? Is it the right? And I have that going on. And occasionally someone else at the table goes, rooting, rooting. And I have a giggle in my head, but it never comes out. It's like that to the nth degree, I'm guessing. But also, that's me registering it in my head and thinking it and going to say it. <laughs> I suppose with Tourette's, it's not even sitting at the table. It's going, I'm saying this, and mm, off it goes. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's those really kind of low-level, unaware, firing neurons and messages going on in our brain. And people with ticks and Tourette's just have very sensitive receptors, and they are picking up on those in a way that generally people don't, in the same way as well, you know, that we might all have a kind of a very fleeting thought about someone in our in our peripheral in our environment that we'd never say, you know, my goodness, that that man had some body odor or something in the street. We wouldn't say that out loud. We wouldn't register it or give it enough attention. But it was a passing thought. And actually, for someone with ticks and Tourette's, the likelihood is that actually their ability to stop that thought from coming out, even if it is a conscious thought, would be it would be harder for them to do that. But also what we know is that a lot of these thoughts haven't even had the power. They haven't registered as a thought. There's no awareness there. It's a, it's a really low-level message firing, and it's been picked up, and it's been transferred into sound. It's been transferred into movement, and that's the ticks that we see. So I'm guessing you wouldn't just have a rude child and go, that's probably Tourette's. It would be that with physical. There wouldn't be just rudeness. 
on their, on its own. It would be there would be physical ticks alongside. Yeah, absolutely. So for 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 the Tourette's, we need that the, the multiple motor, so multiple movement, and at least one vocal tick. So that's what makes the Tourette's diagnosis. If you're pre- present for over twelve months, the, just the presence of coprolalia would be very unusual. You you wouldn't have that. It's it's a feature of this condition. It's it's a relatively rare feature of this condition. In the same way as well, you, you it's. It's unlikely that you develop coprolalia much later in your life. So if you've been an adult with Tourette's or, or since early childhood and you've only ever had kind of, well, you've had vocal and motor tics, but you've never experienced coprolalia, it's, it's quite unlikely that you would just suddenly pick this up, the, the, these symptoms or this feature of the condition. Yeah. As I say, I'm literally going, hang on. So you'd only get that if you're being really rude as a child. But how do you know what's rude? That's a whole thing my head can go down. That's quite, that's quite interesting. The whole, it's not as you learn the words, as you almost like you subconsciously hear them, I suppose, and you register they're wrong. And that's in your head subconsciously. And that is what comes out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's hard. I just want to jump in with this kind of the, the idea of it being rude, these ticks. Because yes, yes. It's, it's, it's really hard because obviously the ticks come from, from a place of this is what I shouldn't be saying. This is the, this is what I, might get me into trouble. And, I, I mustn't say this, this was really upsetting. And actually, especially young people who experience these tics are normally really incredibly distressed by them, really embarrassed by them. You know, I've had so many stories of, of young people just dragging their parents out of the supermarket and the parents are going, what's wrong? You know, what's happening? What's happening? Because that young person has registered someone in their environment who might trigger a coprolalia tick, a tick about someone's race, weight, age, gender, you know. And they're very distressed. They're very scared that they might upset or insult someone. They don't want to do that. It's very rare that a child would want to kind of shock or insult a stranger in the street with no control over over it. The the ticks and Tourette's, they don't serve a purpose. They're not, you know, challenging behavior or behavior that challenges is normally an unmet communication need. You know, I need this from you and this is how I'm going to express it. Whereas actually the the ticks and Tourette's, they're not, they're not serving a purpose. We're not, insulting someone so our mum gives us some more some more attention if if anything it's desperately the opposite and I think it's really important to kind of separate the, the two and say it's, it's not naughty if anything it's the thing that you really 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 don't want to do so yeah so if a child is coming out with re- it's how they're responding to that is a real big indication of is it voluntary or is it completely involuntary absolutely and it's I, I maybe I'm slightly biased because I'm a professional and a person with living with Tourette's who works with people with Tourette's, but it's normally very, very clear if someone is insulting me or if someone is ticking at me. And there's there's always a little bit of kind of leeway because actually I, for example, have learned over the course of my life to control the volume of my vocal tics. So I'll often have vocal tics that sound like purposeful speech because I don't try to fight them, which means that they don't come out as shouted there's no resistance and that be, can become really confusing for people because actually sometimes in my own speech pitch tone of voice I'm adding a tick in there and you don't know if I really meant to say nice top I used to have a tick I like your t-shirt people say oh thank you okay what well, I mean we're working we're in Asda right now and I'm commenting on your work t-shirt but yes okay we're, we're just going to go with that because I didn't change the, the pitch or tone but often ticks especially coprolalia ticks that people don't want to do will come out with some resistance, you know, the forest, you know, something, you're trying not to say it, and it's it's come out anyway. So you can normally tell. When I'm working with teachers, I often say, if you're unsure, assume it's a tick, 
because there's nothing worse than punishing somebody for what you think is poor behaviour and it's actually a tick and that's really damaging and dangerous and actually I'd rather I'd rather you assume in that direction and kind of treat it with empathy than you assume someone is purposefully insulting you and punish them for a tick because those messages stick with people. There is there's a group of people who do I think with all with threats they do a podcast they meet up and they've put I've seen some of their videos which are very entertaining but not at all what they meant. It's just one person has a tick, very offensive. The next person came out with a very offensive response to that. But none of it was meant. None of it is. That's the thing. And you see the looks on their face as they say it. And it's really obvious when they're saying it that this is not intentional. They are absolutely shocked that that has come out of their mouth and things like that. And you also, you often see that them fighting it because they're trying to record a podcast. They're trying to do it, do this. And I've got to say this. And they're trying to fight it so they get what they say out. And you really see. so. It should be quite easy to see if it is Tourette's in those situations. Yeah. But but I suppose it is, if we go back to that stimming, is it's kind of, a stimming could be a constant, but Tourette's will be more sporadic. Yeah, it can, those it can be, absolutely. Ticks can, ticks can come and go. Ticks are normally a response to an uncomfortable monetary urge. So if we're exploring with someone whether this is a stim or a tick, we're looking for, you know, does it does it feel better when you do that movement? You know, does it go away or do we need to do it constantly? Yeah. I th- and I think actually if you if you have to meet a parent with t- with a child with ticks and tricks, they very quickly knew that it was ticks and tricks at quite a at quite an early stage because the young person can is often quite distressed by the movements and the sounds because it's that I I can't control this. This is happening to me, rather than and actually the awareness of the uncomfortable physical feelings normally takes quite a while to to build quite a lot of insight and 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 experience. Wow! So, thank you for coming on the show today. I I've really enjoyed this. I've learned a lot more about Tourette's. There's bits that I kind of knew that I loved the fact I could ask questions about. So thank you so much for answering all my questions. We're going to be sharing some links with all our guests. And when we're releasing this, it is going to be Tourette's Awareness Month. So I've put a link to Tourette's Action, have information on their website. And so you can go click on that. And I'm also sharing Tourette's Action's contact details. And also you've shared your professional OT Twitter handle as well. So if you have more questions for Ione, anything like that, you can get in contact via Twitter. Okay, so thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for The Sendcast. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small sets of progress with people with SEND. And if you're a school in England still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key safe standards or anything else around assessment, please get in contact. You can find out about our online training courses, you can read our blog, you can watch our webinars. It is all on the B-Squared website. And you will find a link to the B-Squared website. You can find a link to book a meeting with me in the show notes. And you can also drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Thank you. Bye, everyone.